1: We are continuing to follow the breaking news down in Miami, where, for the first time, a former U.S. president has been arraigned on federal criminal charges. Just a few hours ago, Donald Trump turned himself in for what is his second... Criminal indictment, the first, of course, having been in New York. In Miami, he made his first appearance in a federal courtroom, responding to the 37 counts charged by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith related to mishandling classified documents, obstruction of justice, and making false statements. Appearing with him was his personal valet, an alleged co-conspirator, Waltine Nauda, who was indicted alongside Trump for his alleged role in moving dozens of boxes of documents, all while being caught on surveillance video and then lying about it to the FBI. At no point did Trump say a word to U.S. Magistrate Judge John Goodman. It was his lawyer, Todd Blanche, who pleaded not guilty on his behalf. The only restriction placed on Trump by the judge during the brief hearing is that he is not to have any contact specifically about the case with any possible witnesses, including Nauda, who still works for Trump. I guess that will be based on the honor system. No date was set for the next hearing, which as of now would be handled by Trump-appointed judge Eileen Cannon, who will preside over the trial. Cannon is the judge whose past decisions in this very case were twice overturned by the conservative 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in scathing opinions. Co-defendant Walt Nauda will be arraigned in two weeks because he had no local counsel present today. Upon leaving the court, followed closely by Nauda, in his valet role, Trump waved from his motorcade to supporters who had gathered there. But unlike the violent supporters who showed up on January 6th, prepared to mount an insurrection, today it was more of a circus-like atmosphere outside the court, more in step with what you might expect from a Miami festival. And while he remained silent in court, Trump made a quick stop to greet voters at Miami's Versailles restaurant, which is a hub for the conservative and very Republican Cuban exile community. He then hopped a flight back to New Jersey to his golf course Bedminster, allegedly the scene where Trump waved around purported classified documents per the indictment. He's expected to deliver remarks from there in the next hour. I have a great panel of legal experts to discuss this historic day, but first I want to bring in MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin, who was in the courtroom for the arraignment today. Set the scene for us, Lisa, uh, of how that went.
2: Hi, Joy. It was in some respects an ordinary arraignment and in others anything but because we had the former president of the United States being arraigned alongside his co-defendant and his valet, Walt Nauta, who, as you noted in an earlier hour today, is really an ordinary man trapped in extraordinary circumstances by virtue of his proximity to Donald Trump. One of the things that I was struck by today is how Trump's lawyers were actually talking to Nauta during the arraignment today. The other thing that I thought was absolutely bizarre and certainly not typical is that when Donald Trump was done entering his plea and they had negotiated the bond, when he stood up to leave, Two rows of Secret Service agents right behind him stood up, got into formation, and headed toward an exit of the courtroom typically used for criminal defendants that are in detention. And they fell into a single line. And right behind them in that line was Walt Nauta, who in that moment ceased to be Trump's co-defendant and went right back to his role as Trump's body man and principal aide. Just like he was the night that Trump had dinner with Kanye West, Walt Nauta, is always there. And I've had folks ask me today, is Walt to likely to cooperate? Is that the significance of his not entering a plea today? I don't believe so. I might have thought that was what was going on by virtue of his not appearing with local counsel. But again, a person who's about to cooperate doesn't leave the courtroom, in the role of as employee to his co-defendant. A person who's about to cooperate doesn't go with him to Versailles and the Cuban community, as you noted, and hold the door open for him. Walt Nauta is a person who is playing a role very different from many co-defendants in conspiracy cases. Most of those folks have every incentive to cooperate Walt Nauta seems to have decided that his incentive structure is something otherwise. Joy,
1: it is bizarre as bizarre gets. But I do want to ask one more question, and this is regarding how things went down before they actually showed up in court. And that is the question of being booked. Both Nauta and Trump were, quote unquote, booked today. But please explain how only Nauta, Waltie Nauta, had to take a mugshot.
2: Yeah, my understanding from the U.S. Marshals Service and our own Kendallanian and Adam Reese spoke to them earlier today, is that rather than use a mugshot that was taken during the booking process with respect to former President Trump, they saved him that indignity and used a publicly available photograph. So you're right. Walt Nauta went through all the usual hallmarks of the booking process. Donald Trump, on the other hand, still bearing some of the former trappings and respect, according to a former president. He alone did not, Joy.
1: Lisa Rubin, thank you very much. Uh, Go get yourself a cortadito because you're right in the right place to get it. I'm super jealous because I would like to have one right now. Uh, Let's bring in MSNBC Justice and Legal Analyst Anthony Coley. He is a former DOJ spokesperson under Attorney General Merrick Garland. MSNBC Legal Analyst Tali Farhadian Weinstein. She is a former federal and state prosecutor and once clerked for Judge Merrick Garland. Nick Ackerman, former Assistant Special Watergate Prosecutor and former Assistant U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and Dave Ehrenberg, State Attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida. I feel incredibly uh, undereducated being on this panel with these illustrious guests. I don't even know where to begin, but I want to start with the mugshots. Uh, and I will throw this out to you. You know, I'm going I'm to start. Well, you know what? I'm going to start with you, Nick. Sure, you I, mean, can, I, you know, I don't have a mugshot. You don't have a mugshot <laughs> either. But look, let me tell you something. I have some really cute beauty shots of myself, and I would think that if I ever found myself in some sort of legal problem, I would like to send them a beauty shot of me and have me so myself look like
3: I look right now underneath your chin
1: when Bailey has done me fabulously and I look (laughs) like this. Why does Trump get to but I wouldn't get to do that. I would not get to do that. I would have to take a mugshot. You would have to take a mugshot. Any of us would have to take a mugshot. Why is it that Donald Trump, yes, he's not president anymore, but when you're not president, you're just a citizen. How does that make sense that he didn't have to take a mugshot? I
3: think probably the same reason they didn't do it in New York. I think the concern is that somebody in the system would pull that out and send it out to people. So
1: what? Donald Trump is not subject to any further saying that he is spared him the indignity. This man has been indicted twice. That is is indignity in and of itself, and it's indignity that he brought upon himself. Why uh, does he get spared
3: that? Well, the other reason, supposedly, is because if he is a fugitive, they need a mugshot to be able to identify him. And this is a guy who everybody identifies. It's not like he's not a person that isn't easily identifiable.
1: Yeah, well, that, then, that is true. Well, we don't know what his hair looks like in the mugshot. That's true. We don't true. know if he gets to do the swoop with the mugshot. <laughs> so let me, Dolly, let, let me go to this next yeah. piece, because this is the other thing that I was taking notes as Lisa was talking that mm-hmm. I found very odd. Trump's lawyer talking to Nauta's lawyer. Right. Unusual in the sense that these two are charged in a conspiracy together, and yet, I don't know that their interests all uh, 100% align Can you make sense of them talking to each other?
4: Uh, I can. I mean, so we don't know if they have a joint defense agreement that would give some structure to how they talk to each other, but their individual lawyers are supposed to represent their separate interests. And I think the reason that they can't speak to each other directly, which is a very common condition and one of the ones that was imposed today, is we don't want them to coordinate their stories with each other and somehow distort uh, you but how do know, you, what you they stop would them from doing say? that? He would, now it works for him. He's just about way. Yeah. Well, yes. And the other thing is that we really don't want one of them to unduly influence, uh, pressure, tamper with the other. And uh, you said honor system. I think that's right. This is really hard to enforce. But I also think that this is something that the Department of Justice is going to be monitoring. They're
1: going to have to. And I don't know how they're going to do it, Anthony, honestly. So, so the challenge... For the, the people. It's the people versus Donald Trump and versus uh, Walty e. Nada. But versus Donald Trump, is that Donald Trump, he went right to Versailles after. Right his, uh, moment, uh, you know, in court. And let me just give you a quote from somebody who was inside of Versailles. Now, people who don't know Miami very well don't understand that Versailles is the hub mm-hmm. for Cuban Americans, um, but for a certain section of Cuban Americans, meaning the, the, most conservative, um, sort of older Cuban Americans. It's where they go. It's actually great food and it's wonderful, but, um, <laughs> it's great know. food No, and the, the coffee is amazing, but mm-hmm. I mean, it is where Republicans yeah. go. This is what one person said, the Versailles crowd. in enthusiastically agreed with Trump's assessment of the legal system. In this country exists a system of justice that is not justice. If you have the last name Clinton or Biden, you have the system of—you ju- have one system of justice. If you have the last name Trump, it's another system of justice," said Enrique Canton, in Spanish, who stood in front of Versailles many times to shake—to make his pro-Trump voice heard. But the, the people, in terms of the Justice Department, are relatively silent. There will only be a megaphone held by one side, and that is Donald Trump. What is the challenge the Justice Department faces in communicating what they're doing?
5: Right. Joy, there are two uh, courts in this country. It's the Court of Justice and then it's the Court of Public Opinion. Uh, In terms of the Court of Justice, Donald Trump doesn't have uh, a very strong case right? We've seen uh, the facts. I'm not going to go through them ad nauseum here, sure. but the facts here are just so overwhelming yeah. against him, the surveillance video, etc. But it's the court of public opinion that he's really trying to sway the hearts and the minds of everybody. Um, that's why it is so important for the Justice Department to keep the focus of this case on the facts. Uh, we talked earlier today, I think, when you and I were both on with Nicole about the need for the Justice Department to, at its very core, agree when petitioned by media organizations to allow there to be at least an audio recording absolutely, um, of the proceeding. Or cameras in the that's courtroom. That's exactly right. Because Donald Trump, as he's doing today, he's in the middle of a campaign. That's right. Um, and so that's that's what absolutely has got the hand got to happen.
1: And then, Dave Ehrenberg, I'm so glad that we were able to get you on tonight, because the other character in this mess is Florida. And Florida is a particular thing, as you know. Um, Miami is its own world, and it is Trump world. Uh, Let's just be clear. It's a heavily Cuban-American community. It's a heavily Republican now. It used to be blue, and now it's definitely more Republican. Um, But the case, it seems, will be tried in Palm Beach, which is your backyard. Different uh, jury pool— right? Explain, first of all, that. What would be the difference, in your view, between a jury pool where this judge is located and in Miami, where Trump was today?
6: Joy, it's good to be with you. Palm Beach County is still bluer than Miami-Dade County. And in Miami-Dade County, they have a long history of acquitting public officials for corruption, Hmm. Uh, perhaps because you have a large segment (laughs) of the population who come from countries where Uh, Being part of the government is a bad thing. And uh, if the government goes after you, that's a bad thing. And so they distrust the government. And so in Palm Beach County, you don't have that. And 43 percent of the voters in Palm Beach County went for Trump. Forty six percent in Miami-Dade County. So 43 percent of 12 is five And that means there should be five Trump voters on the 12-person jury. All it takes is one, and you've got a hung jury. But I think it's still a victory for the government that it's in Palm Beach County for the reasons I mentioned. And also, Judge Cannon lives close to here. So why would she want to schlep all the way down to Miami for the trial? I think now you know why it's it's going to be up here.
1: And the other piece of it, Dave, is, you know— The other little world here inside of Palm Beach County, those who know it, it is a sort of blue, kind of well-heeled, the part where Donald Trump lives, which was not super friendly to him when he moved there, Um, but it is—Mar-a-Lago is its own sort of closed world, too. And so the idea of being able to keep Nauda, who is the valet, from conferring with Trump when he seems completely beholden to Trump. He doesn't even have a lawyer that is barred in Miami. He can't even, he couldn't even be arraigned today because he doesn't have a local attorney. How in the world could that even be done, particularly given Mar-a-Lago and how closed of a world it is, even though it is totally open for weddings if you want to look at classified documents?
6: Yeah. Yeah. They're going to spend a lot of time together, but. They can. They just can't talk about the case. It's my understanding that Trump has been paying for Walt Nada's legal fees up to this point. At some point, Nada needs to get his own lawyer because his interests are going to diverge from Donald Trump. He will get an Mm -hmm. offer to flip. And the longer he waits, the worse the offer will be because the government doesn't need him. I mean, look, they could use him, but they've got Evan Corcoran's notes yeah, that's the real valuable stuff here. I mean, now that can help. But, you know, every day he waits, it hurts his chance of getting a good deal. He's got to decide whether he's going to follow the Allen Weisberg model or the Cassidy Hutchinson model. If he follows the Allen Weisselberg loyalty model, he goes to jail. He yeah. follows the Cassidy Hutchinson model. He gets his own lawyer and he becomes a hero.
1: And so the question is whether you can, and just bring it back to the table, of whether you can get him to flip. I mean, he's so loyal that the picture that Lisa Rubin painted of him marching out behind Donald Trump, returning to his role as valet, immediately subordinating himself once again to Trump, just automatically, instinctually Mm -hmm. says he won't flip,
3: right? How do you get him to do it? Well, first of all, he's already been approached to flip. I mean, there's no question in my mind, from the government standpoint, he was either going to be a defendant or he was going to be a witness. Right. And if he was a witness, this case would have stayed in the District of Columbia. But they don't have anything on him that gives them venue over NADA. And NADA is a key piece in this whole prosecution because NADA, in a sense, is the albatross around Trump's neck.
1: And how worried um,
3: are you about the judge?
4: Well, you know, the judge in any case has lots of power. She has power over low visibility things that we might not see, like in jury selection, how deep is she gonna go in questioning the potential jurors to root out bias? And in the federal system, the judge actually talks to the jury during that process. Mm -hmm. Questions like what evidence can come in, Uh, something incredibly consequential in this case is whether she's going to let in the evidence from Corcoran's notes. This is key. Very key, right? I mean, those 50 pages and really key for the obstruction counts in that indictment, actually kind of hard to imagine some of those counts without him. And that will be up to her whether she wants to do that, whether she allows the defense to argue some of these declassification, you know, defenses that we have heard, whether she thinks they're plausible enough to put in front of the jury. Yeah, uh, She could do things like direct a verdict. That's she really should. unusual. But the most important thing, of course, is that she can control the timing. And it's the defendant who has a right to a speedy trial. And usually a defendant yes, wants one. to have a speedy trial. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like this defendant yeah. is interested in having a speedy trial. And she will have an opportunity every day to speed it up or to or slow, slow it, down. it down. And he
1: wants to wait until after the election. Uh, l- last one to go back to you, Dave Ehrenberg. How worried should we be about Aileen Cannon? Uh, she is in your neck of the woods there. How worried should we be that she's going to see this as an opportunity to become a hero to MAGA? Um, she's already shown what sure did look like bias in the previous um, earlier uh, iterations of this very same case and got a- reversed harshly for it.
6: Yeah. but because she did get reversed, publicly humiliated, maybe we'll see Judge Cannon 2.0. She has been chastened and she at least won't do things totally over the top because she knows the 11th Circuit is watching. Right. She doesn't want to be putting time out again. So she could do things a little more subtle, like, for example, allow more Trump supporters to be on the jury. Delay matters, as Talia said, or the thing she could do perhaps uh, the most to help Trump would be if he's found guilty to give him an extra lenient sentence well below the sentencing guidelines. She can do all those things without being overturned by the 11th Circuit.
1: I sentence you to four years in Mar-a-Lago where you can utilize your gold-plated ballroom uh, and your gold shower with the weird tension rod curtain. You can do that. She could easily do it. You're absolutely right, David Ehrenberg. David Ehrenberg, thank you very much. Anthony, Tali, and Nick are going to stay with us as we continue our breaking coverage of today's arraignment of Donald J. Trump in Miami, or Miami, like they say down there sometimes.
2: What we are witnessing today is the blatant and unapologetic weaponization of the criminal justice system. The Biden appointed appointed special counsel has sought fit to bring 37 federal charges against President Trump, the leading frontrunner less than a year and a half before an election.
1: Now playing the role of television attorney Rudy Giuliani, Alina Haba, everybody, an attorney known more for making furious statements than for, I don't know, let's say a background in criminal law. She is not representing Trump in the classified documents case. Wonder why? Well, those comments you just heard are riddled with errors. Let's just correct what you just heard, shall we? Trump faces 37 counts on seven charges, not 37 charges, charge and counter Not always interchangeable terms. Also, President Biden did not appoint the special counsel. Attorney General Merrick Garland is the person who appointed Jack Smith to oversee the documents probe and the criminal investigation into January 6th. And that whole bit about Biden weaponizing the DOJ to target a political opponent, which is likely to be a major part of Trump's defense. Yeah, that is balderdash, too. The investigation into Trump was launched in February 2022, 10 months before Trump announced his candidacy for president. Back with me are Anthony Coley, Tali Farhadian-Weinstein, and Nick Ackerman. And joining us now is former federal prosecutor Ankush Um, Thank you for being here. And Ankush, I, I feel, I believe I have teed you up perfectly because you wrote an exceptional piece talking about the challenge Trump has with finding good lawyers. Um, he doesn't have the fabulous bookers that we have at MSNBC who just find amazing lawyers everywhere. Um, he's having some trouble. What is the state of his representation as of now?
8: Well, as of now, it appears that Todd Blanche is leading his defense in this case. Um, Mr. Blanche is his lawyer, uh, one of the lawyers, defending Trump in Manhattan uh, in response to the DA's prosecution up there. And it appears that like Chris Kies may be helping out here, but at the moment, according to public reports... Uh, Trump and his lawyers are trying to find some more people to sort of join the team and manage this effort, whether that's Florida local counsel or also there's been some talk of uh, bringing on a law firm to sort of support the effort. But it's very much up in flux. Like, as I reported in that piece last week, um, you know, Trump's legal team has been sort of marred by a bunch of um, exits, and entries. People sort of do things that aren't terribly wise, like <laughs> offering public statements on Trump's behalf that can later be uh, debunked. And so there's been this sort of constant churn. And I think at this point, it's really uh, um, important for Trump, if he can, to stabilize this team as he heads through this process.
1: I think it's sort of an obvious question um, that I guess one might ask, Ankush, and is that Trump had multiple lawyers and you, and Mr. Keyes, who got $3 million upfront, very wise, and, and attested that non, non-payment would not be a reason for pulling off the case. He and the other attorney, um, because they've already gotten paid. Um, but Waltie Nauda Nauta does not have an attorney, uh, with a bar license in the state of Florida. So he couldn't even go through today, um, with all the procedures. He was just booked, but not arraigned. What is the status of his legal situation? Because he does have one lawyer, but Donald Trump is not paying to get him someone else.
8: Yeah, that appears to be very much up in the air. And I I find that rather curious, that 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 hasn't been resolved heading into today. Now, granted, they didn't have a lot of time, um, but in the ordinary course, it's usually not that hard to find a local lawyer simply Mm -hmm. to do an appearance like this. And so, you know, obviously, Trump and his whole organization, it's sort of constantly chaotic. Um, but eventually, I would expect that this will get worked out. He'll get a lawyer. He'll get the, the representation he needs. The sorts of questions you were asking, though, earlier about, you know, kinds of coordination potentially between uh, the defendants through lawyers, those are going to persist uh, even through the, the, the point of time in which it gets
5: his own attorney.
1: And this is probably outside the—oh, I'm sorry, go, go.
5: No, Joy, I was going to say, it's telling to me that uh, in a state like Florida, Donald Trump cannot find a lawyer to stand beside him. That should tell your viewers a lot about yeah. the state of uh, and the strength of this case. Number one, they need their own lawyers eventually. And then the second thing, he doesn't always pay these people. right. You know, there are there's a long list of vendors who have been stiffed by yeah. Donald Trump. So, I mean, you can't blame uh, you can't blame people for. No, but he doesn't to.
1: pay for the light fixtures in his hotel. Right. But even worse, <laughs> a lot of them wind up
5: in making you know, attorneys in get attorneys. Right. right. Yeah,
1: but, I
4: mean, but, you know, now now that. We're going to be doing a demonstration as a country for the whole country and for the world to see how the rule of law works. My wish is for him to have really good counsel uh, and for it not to be a circus in there and mm-hmm. for them to bring serious motions and to put the government to the test as they should. Uh, and and for this to really be done by the book. So yeah. I think we are better off as a country oh, sure. if he gets the right people to represent. Meaning him. we're not thinking Alina Haba might not be the best.
3: Uh, no way. <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me go through this, because I think this is
1: important. Donald Trump is going to have a strategy to try to make this go faster. This is the Axios reporting. Um, I wouldn't foresee this thing getting tried within a year. This was Tim Parlatore, who was on our air earlier, saying similar things. He left Trump's legal team last month. I can foresee some fairly substantial motions to dismiss the case. Mm-hmm. I can see them going through several discovery motions, and there will be mm-hmm. fights over disclosure. I think we We'll see each round of motions is going to take three months. That sounds like he's anticipating a delay. He was also talking earlier, speaking with Chris Jansing, about allegedly trying to drop motions about prosecutorial misconduct, which... Makes no sense to me, but that is what they're trying. Well, that's the they always spin. do that anyway. Yeah.
3: But look, I think that Jack Smith is going to come in with a plan. He's going to turn over those documents in the next couple of weeks. He's going to give him full discovery. He's going to put it out there as quickly as possible, and he's going to ask the judge to set down a very quick motion schedule. Okay. I mean, these motions are not complicated. Yeah. You know whether or not the attorney-client privilege applies. That's a
1: And it's already been litigated. It's
3: already been litigated. I mean, the purpose of the attorney-client privilege is so that the attorney and the client can disclose information to each other. It's not to commit a crime. Not to commit a crime.
1: Anchor, let me ask you, I don't know if this is outside of the um, scope of what you're reporting on. Do you know whether the Justice Department, as we've been talking about uh, on the show, and Anthony, I think has also made the, the, the case for it, do you think the government is going to ask for or support media asking for cameras in that courtroom. Because I actually agree um, with Tali that There is a public interest, obviously, in this just as theater, but I think for our democracy, and given what happened on January 6th, 2021, there's going to be a portion, about a third in the polls, of people who believe this is completely unwarranted against Trump. The best cure for that is for everyone to be able to see the trial. So do you have any reporting on whether the government will seek to or accept the idea of cameras in that courtroom, or at least an audio recording?
8: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any, any reporting I can share on that point. Um, I, I, I'm a little skeptical that they would make an effort like that simply because sort of everything we've seen so far, I think, has been an effort within the bounds of reason to like sort of play this by the book, uh, at least on the government side. But, um, I just, I, I completely, uh, um, just want to echo all the comments on this front, because this is a vitally important procedure, and it is really important that the public get access to it if the Justice Department can see its way to supporting that effort. And I also agree... Uh, uh, just to, again, underscore the point, it is very important that Trump get credible lawyers here. It's better for the country if he does. There are going to be fewer yeah. issues on appeal um, and, and fewer sort of uh, uh, sort of frivolous motions and that sort of thing. So uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it would be great if the Justice Department um, supported some sort of uh, publicity uh, uh, around the trial so that we can get sort of real-time access to what's
5: happening. Well, let, let me I come back to the deserve. tape.
1: Absolutely. Let me come back to the table. Both of you yeah. know uh, Merrick Garland. The first you, Anthony, does he does he ask?
5: So I don't know that the department will ask. I don't think the department will oppose okay. um, if the media companies uh, ask for it. Tally.
4: Yeah. It, you know, I think it's unlikely because the department has been really um, conservative about this stuff. But I will say uh, Merrick Garland went to the public podium and he explained the search warrant to the American people. And that was unprecedented. And Jack Smith gave a press conference when the indictment was unsealed, which was unprecedented. So I see a Justice Department that is absorbing and reflecting back what we are talking about, which is they understand that this is a demonstration of why people go to work in that place every day. You know, absolutely. what are the values that are at stake? And they released this,
1: this uh, very right, readable, 49-page right, speaking
4: right. indictment that I think right.
1: was critical, right. because if you read it, it becomes hard to say that this is some right. sort of a witch hunt. You know something about this district and this area. In your mind, how critical do you think it is? And I guess from a security right. standpoint, they might be concerned about having cameras in the courtroom, etc. But do you think it's critical? And do you suspect that it will happen?
3: I don't think it's going to happen, because basically the courts have not allowed it in the federal system. Yeah. Um, and to tell you the truth, I'm not really in favor of it. Because, Please explain. Well, because you have witnesses who come in. They, they If you go back to the uh, Sim- the Simpson trial, Uh, People come in, they act for the cameras. You don't get the same, um, you know, unvarnished testimony that you would necessarily get when you're in a room. Uh, You have people acting for the cameras. They even the judges, everybody acts differently. What about audio, though? What about audio? Well, no, but even audio.
4: has audio, but that's that's for
3: an oral argument. That's something completely different. It's for legal questions. I mean, I think that we've always had trials that have not been um, put on TV. You know, we've never had donald j trump well, on trial true. the guy who did name right, january 6th right,
1: right. just saying but we're going to debate this uh, uh during the commercial break. <laughs> no, it's not a court of but i'm going to go ahead and finish it anyway uh, anthony coley because i really need the campaign anthony coley atali Parhadian and weinstein nick ackerman and kush kardori great panel thank you very much still to come two big guests michael cohen he knows for trump and
0: lawrence tribe don't go anywhere
1: Like most of you, after reading through the very thorough 49-page indictment, I was left wondering, what was the former president thinking? Why does he believe the classified documents produced by intelligence officials belong to him? Why wouldn't he listen to his lawyers, like Christopher Keyes, who advised him to be more cooperative with the Department of Justice? Or his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, who told him to just give the documents back? Why doesn't Trump realize that he has the right to remain silent? I don't have the faintest idea. But you know who might be able to help us out? Someone who spent more than a decade by Trump's side, intimately ensconced in nearly every aspect of his personal and professional life. Joining me now is Michael Cohen, former Trump personal attorney, principal of Crisis X and the host of the Political Beatdown and Mea Culpa podcasts. His new book is called Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics, an apt title. Michael, can you answer that question for us? For those who don't understand why Donald Trump wouldn't just give the documents back, listen to his lawyers or do anything smart.
9: Because Donald Trump doesn't listen to his counsel ever. What he'll do is he'll find as many people as he possibly can. Until he he'll ask as many people as he possibly can until such time as he finds the one person that agrees with his knee jerk reaction. The problem is that person is only doing it in order to stay in his good graces, something I would say that Boris Epstein is doing at the current moment. He is not doing Donald any service. And in fact, you're seeing lawyers leaving Leaving Donald's employee at an alarming rate, almost to the point, if it doesn't stop, he may have to have a public defender (laughs) representing him in the case where he was indicted for today in Florida.
1: You know, so might Walt Nauda, who doesn't have a a, a barred attorney in Florida, couldn't even be arraigned today. Let me read just a little bit from this indictment, which I think is one of the telling scenes. Trump family member uh, talking to Walt, Waltine Nauta. Trump family member, good afternoon, Walt. Happy Memorial Day. I saw you put boxes—and then this person says, I saw you put boxes to POTUS room. Just FYI, I will tell him as well. Not sure how many he wants to take on Friday on the plane. We will not have room for them. Plane will be full with luggage. It sounds like Melania to me. Thank you. Walt Nada. Good afternoon, ma'am. Smiley face emoji. Thank you so much. I think he wanted to pick from them. I don't imagine him wanting to take the boxes. He told me to put them in the room and that he was going to talk about them. He literally is obsessed with the boxes. Why was he so obsessed with the boxes that he wanted to take them on vacation?
9: You know, Joy, we had this conversation several months ago. When I turned, I told you that the information that he had made him feel powerful, made him feel like he was the president again. But more importantly, he was holding on to them for what I would say would be nefarious purpose. I explained that it was, in his mind, a potential get out of jail free card. But it also gave him relevance on a world stage. For example, whether they were going to have conversation with Mohammed bin Salman, the um, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia or the Kim Jong Un's of North Korea or even the Vladimir Putin's of Russia. It didn't matter. This was going to be the way that he would show his importance. This is a way that he knew that he would be able to make a significant amount of money. And it would also remain as a get out of jail free card for if, in fact, like what's happening now, there's an indictment or a potential prosecution and an incarceration. He can always turn around and use that information to basically extort the country that if you try to incarcerate me, I will release this information, which is top secret, that will place the entire United States, the United, entire United States's national security at risk. You really want to play that game? That's how Donald Trump thinks. Explain
1: while well, nada to me um, the scene of him resuming his role uh, as valet as soon as this uh, arraignment in which he has no power. Donald Trump is a former president. He has no lawyer. Donald Trump has two lawyers represented him. And then he walks out of the courtroom right behind Trump returning to being his valet as somebody who, you know, was in the making attorneys get attorneys camp with Trump. Can you explain why he doesn't just flip on Trump and save himself?
9: Yeah, because for some reason, he believes that he's different. He believes that Donald will take care of him. He believes that in the end he will be okay. He will be in a greater position of power if, in fact, Donald Trump rises to the occasion and becomes once again president of the United States. He is fooling himself. You know, the other night on um, on MSNBC with Chris Hayes, Hayes, I turned around and I said, Walt, run. I look right into the camera and I'm going to do it again. Walter, what are you doing? Run, get out of there. It doesn't work well for anyone except for Donald Trump. If it was his own, if it was Donald's own children, if it was Don, Ivanka, Eric, I would turn around and say the same thing. Run as fast as you can. He's not spending a single dollar of the money that he grifted off of the Trump trash. He's not going to spend a single dollar To retain a lawyer on your behalf and he will leave you in the, in the dust simply, right? Because he doesn't want to pay the legal fee if he gets word or he believes that you are going to provide any type of information that is negative to him. He will not pay the fees. He will leave you hanging. It makes no difference to him. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself and his own freedom.
1: What do you make of the fact that Melania, who apparently was getting her hair done today instead of being with her husband as he's being indicted for the second time, nor Ivanka and Jared were there. Page six reporting that Ivanka and Jared felt they lost some of their social circle associating with Trump. And now they just want nothing to do with him.
9: None of them were. Yeah, forward. well, that's what I would call true love. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what nothing could be finer, right? Than you know, hanging out in a diner while your wife is getting her hair done, and you're in the middle of an indictment, uh, or you know. Your daughter or son-in-law who have pulled down over two and a half billion dollars as a direct result of your presidency, calling themselves senior advisors, they should call themselves senior grifters. They realize that they have made so much money that they're not willing to jeopardize a penny of it, even if that means distancing themselves from the father
1: the shy and retiring Michael Cohen (laughs) subtle as always with his comments Uh, Michael Cohen let's see if Waltine Nada listens to you he probably should thank you very much call me (laughs) thank you constitutional law professor Lawrence Tribe joins me next day right there As Donald Trump spent the afternoon being arraigned in a federal courtroom, his MAGA cronies on Capitol Hill have been twisting themselves into knots, trying to defend his actions, as detailed in the Justice Department's stunning indictment, including this photo showing boxes of documents, perhaps including our classified secrets being kept in an extremely tacky Mar-a-Lago bathroom and shower, protected only by a cheap shower curtain on a tension rod.
5: You guys are throwing up the pictures about they were in a bathroom or they were on a stage. As somebody who's been to Mar-a-Lago, you just can't walk through Mar-a-Lago of your own accord because Secret Service is all over the place. So if the documents are in a place, they're in a room, depending on the time of year, you can't even get into said room. There are 33 bathrooms at at Mar-a-Lago.
1: What about those pictures? Was that a good look for the former president to have boxes in a bathroom?
5: I don't know, is it a good picture to have boxes in a garage that opens up all the time? A bathroom door locks.
1: Oh honey. Joining me now is Lawrence Tribe, Professor Emeritus at Harvard Law School and co-author of the book To End a Presidency. Uh, Professor Tribe, thank you for being here. Those are the unserious arguments attempting to defend Donald Trump. I will set those aside and not burden your mind with them. But I want to go to some of the other defenses that Trump might try to put forward in this case. The first one that he's putting forward is the Presidential Records Act. He said it a lot. Lots of people don't know what it is. Um... And the question here is whether a president, an ex-president, can designate whatever records he wants to be private records, and therefore he has access to them. Presidential Records Act, is that a defense?
10: No. It, clearly, the special counsel, is a good lawyer, He's figured it out. There's no question the Presidential Records Act provides no defense for Donald Trump, because it specifies that these defense-related documents and the classified and secret documents, at a minimum, belong to the United States government. They actually belong to all the people of the United States. It's not at all like, you know, in one of his uh, social media posts, he compares it to, believe it or not, uh, Bill Clinton's sock drawer, where some tape recordings that Bill Clinton made um, were designated as personal recordings. Well, none of these things are recordings by the president, the ex-president. They are top-secret documents of the United States. That is a complete non-starter. There is no legal defense. The only defense that I think he's mounting is the defense of time. He's got a judge, Eileen Cannon, who intervened in the investigatory process in a way that, as you pointed out earlier, a very conservative 11th Circuit Court of Appeals not only unanimously reversed, but criticized her for. And he's obviously counting on all of the discretionary things that she can do to slow things down so that uh, they don't reach a resolution by the time of the next election. That's his defense. Defense is delay.
1: His defense is delayed. Just to be very clear. So personal records, this is according to Presidential Records Act, the Presidential Records Act. Presidential records are defined as documentary materials of, or any reasonable, segregable portion thereof of a purely private or non-public character which do not relate to or have an effect or carrying out on carrying out the constitutional statutory or other official or ceremony marial duties of the president, including diaries, journals, or other personal notes, serving as the functional equivalent of a diary or journal which are not prepared or utilized for or circulated or communicated in the course of transacting government business. To make that clear, it's, as you said, it's documents that are personal. And in the case of Bill Clinton, Taylor Branch was writing a book about him and recorded interviews with him. And he kept those recordings and a right-wing group sued for them, Judicial Watch. And and it was like, no, these are his personal records. So those are very different just for the audience to understand that. Uh, Donald Trump's other defense has been that he declassified the documents just by thinking about it in his mind, even though he admitted it per the indictment that he didn't declassify anything. Does it even matter if these documents were declassified? He had government records he didn't give them back.
10: No, for th- for most of the counts, the count charges specifically that the material related to the national defense and that its exposure would gravely endanger the defense of the United States whether they were marked classified or not. So that's that's a complete red herring. It's got nothing to do with it. But in any event, he admitted, and the, the indictment makes clear that he admitted, but he knows he has no Houdini power to just think the classification away for those documents that <laughs> are classified. So that also is a non-defense defense. That's why he wants delay, because When the rubber meets the road, he's not got a defense. And so he's got to put it off and put it off until he hopes he'll be the next president and he can then pardon himself or some other Republican can drop the case and pardon him. He's simply trying to avoid accountability. And it's really vital for the country, not only that justice be done, but that we see it done. That's why all the emphasis that people have placed, I agree with, on at least having a live feed of the oral testimony and the arguments before Judge Hannon so that she can't just get away with effectively turning out the lights and making this invisible.
1: And that is what we hope happens. Professor Lawrence Tribe, always wonderful and valuable to talk with you. Thank you. And don't go anywhere, folks. I'll be back in a moment with Rachel, Nicole, Chris, Alex, Lawrence, Ari, Steph, Rule, and more friends for special coverage of the indictment of Donald Trump. Stay with us.